Welcome to Screen Actors Guild, where we explore Oscar-winning actors and the embarrassing films they'd rather forget. I am your host, Michelle, the scrappy little dog from down the street. I'm Henry, the crude racial stereotype as a dog. <laughs> uh, as I'm sure you've guessed, we are watching Look Who's Talking Now, the third and final installment yes. of the Look Who's Talking franchise. That may be up for debate. Um the one that answers all of your big questions of the mysteries of the Look Who's Talking franchise. Finally ties it all together. Uh, a lot of loose threads there. And mm-hmm. and we're not we're not doing John Travolta. This week is not about Kirstie Alley. Uh, nope. neither, neither of those, them are Oscar winners. Neither of those two actors are Oscar winners. We're actually uh, we're actually visiting the body of work of Miss Diane Keaton this week. And yes, Dame Diane Keaton. Dame Diane Keaton, who plays a dog named Daphne, a French poodle named Daphne, and is featured in the movie, I would wager, a total of three to four minutes of ADR. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it feels... We might need to do a second Diane Keaton episode. Uh, this, <laughs> <laughs> she's, uh, I mean, she, she is certainly present in the movie yes. in in voice and form but let's let's celebrate dk for a minute yeah she's a wonderful actress she is uh, just darling yeah i i look forward to when woody allen dies so i can watch annie hall again mm-hmm. uh she's so good in that so you know she's a national treasure been nominated uh, for an oscar a few times and won. she won of course for annie hall but i looked it up before we recorded she also got nominated for marvin's room and Something else. Now I'm forgetting. What was that? Did she get nominated for Reds? Reds, which I okay. cannot remember what Reds is. Well, Reds is like a 15-hour long movie uh, starring Warren Beatty about the uh, like communist revolution, like the the Soviet Revolution in Russia, and then like the 10 years after that with a bunch of like Americans. It's way too. I mean, it's like it's 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 not Very a bad ambitious. movie. But it's, yeah, it's just like swimming the English Channel. You know, it's just so much That's to do. That's a marathon. 15 hours of yeah, anything. Just, My just word. Fucking, I think it might be three. It feels 15. Just read the Wikipedia entry. Like, don't you don't need to watch it. It's just so much movie. Do you ever feel uh, like, no shade to Diane Keaton or anyone involved in that movie, do you ever feel like the people that nominate don't necessarily watch all of whatever the thing is? Just... The fact that there's 15 hours of any drama seems worthy of a nomination. Yeah, I think once in a while, they're just like, ah, that seems like it's probably a big, good movie, so let's throw an award or two at it. You kind of have to. Yeah, you don't need to watch it. You have to tell people you watched it so you seem smart, and the way to seem smart is to give Oscar nominations to people in that giant movie. Sure is. But um, but she, she's she's great, though. I'm sure she's, she's great charming. in in. 15 hours of that she's certainly great in annie hall i i always love her in a good a good romp of a rom-com she's cheeky Mm -hmm. and she's fun she wears a floppy hat like nobody else yeah she wears a three-piece like cream colored suit like nobody else god yeah her style is so good and i think she wears i think she's basically worn the same clothes for 50 years don draper style like i really like it she has made zero compromises yeah wears exactly the same shit probably literally the same clothes and she's a movie star what a cool way to live your life she knows exactly what she's doing and i honestly as shitty as this movie is i respect her for just doing it just not caring about her name being on whatever this thing is because we got to address the fact that like look who's talking fine family movie Nothing really, like, too wrong with it. It's whatever. Yeah. Luke is Talking too got pretty abysmal reviews. It definitely mm-hmm. tanked. And then mm-hmm. they just doubled the fuck down and decided to make a third one and get actual people to be in a third one of these. It got 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is 100% why we're doing this movie. And she's Correct. billed as she's on the poster. It's her and Danny DeVito playing two dogs, which leads you to believe she's heavily featured. And that would be a misdirect. Cause... It's much more of a Danny DeVito, Christy Alley vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny DeVito, I... prominently featured. Yes. Uh, I... Yeah, I, I, this feels like, of all the movies we've watched, the one was the most, like... 
fuck you pay me movie for Diane Keaton. Like, <laughs> yeah, this I is think a she cash spent grab 20 minutes sure. on this movie. <laughs> she could have done this from home for all we know. She <laughs> literally, it does seem like for the amount of lines she has, she could have hammered this out in under two hours and just been like, money, please. <laughs> My money. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, God love her, that's what I would do, I think. If I just got to do ADR work and ride my own coattails for a while, just fuck it. Yeah. No, I I do. I wonder if they told her, like, what was going on on screen or if it's literally just like, here's some words, say them however you want. It won't matter. Some people will like that you're in the movie. The children won't care. They don't know who you are. The parents are drunk. Like, it yeah. doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. We're just putting you on the poster, Diane. This may sound like a silly question, but do you think she's seen this movie at any point? <laughs> Absolutely not. Because I would be willing to bet my next paycheck that she has 100% not seen this movie. <laughs> There's a decent chance she does not know this movie exists. That's... There's a decent chance she didn't know then. Just like, hey, Diane, say some stuff into this microphone. Here's $500,000. For all she knows, this could have been like an ASPCA commercial or something. Mm -hmm. There's just Mm -hmm. no way for her to know. Uh, (laughs) So she plays a froofy French uh, poodle. Yeah, French poodle. I don't know how I lost poodle for a second. The most distinctive dog in the world. Yeah. That is... uh, a re-gifted dog from a sultry CEO character who's yes. also the villain of the movie. Yes. Uh, and she's one of the only... Di- she's the only dynamic character in the movie. Uh, the dog is oh, the, the only dog. dynamic yeah, character. No, 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 no. The sultry CEO character, no, whose no. name is literally Dabone, uh, <laughs> is... She's not... No, she's just the, the, the pure villain. No, I, I hadn't thought about this. Literally, the only dynamic character who starts one way and ends a different way in That's this really movie, true, actually, yeah, is Diane Keaton as Daphne the dog. That's you could perfect. maybe make an argument for Dana DeVito as Rox. A little bit, yeah, but mainly her small character arc. She's really not featured much in the film, but she nope. is the only character that experiences any kind of um, change or opinion or values or behavior. Yeah. Uh, not that it's necessary, but I guess we can summarize what this movie is about. <laughs> sure. Um, okay, so you got Look Who's Talking 1. It's infants whose inner monologues, whose clever little inner monologues you can hear. I believe it was yeah. Bruce Willis originally. It's Bruce Willis who... in both movies, uh-huh. yeah. And um, second movie, we've got a baby and a toddler. They bring in Roseanne Barr. I think as oh. the other yeah it's a really oh, a really punishing that have not lesson. aged well <laughs> yeah a... yeah okay so for this third installment you would think that because the cover of the film has two dogs featured on it and the fact that dogs can speak is sort of the the main cachet of the film you would think that might also drive the plot forward be the main plot driving agent the dogs don't need to talk for this movie to happen nope. at all. Nope. At some no, points the, in time, the dogs disappear from the movie a little bit and just the dogs are it. fundamentally unrelated to the plot. Although to be fair, plot is being used very loosely here. This movie is about two adults who don't have affairs. This movie is That's about the, the potential of adultery between two adults in their late thirties. How's your family movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's your movie directed at kids? Which, by the way, the is pote- rated PG-13. <laughs> <laughs> and I had, to look, I... I had to look at this because Danny DeVito, doing the voice of this scrappy dog, is saying some very sus... It's some very adult it's, things that I didn't think could make unrivaled. it. It's not unrivaled. Yeah. I did. I had the. I wrote down who is this movie for because Me too. it 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 feels it's dumb like a children's movie. Yes, but it's suggestive like an adults movie, and it's boring like an adults movie. Mm-hmm. But it's like it's goofy like a children's movie. I like. It keeps I oscillating. I and don't like, know who it's for. Okay, so. What tripped me out halfway through watching this is that I did see this as a little kid. 
Me too. At the appropriate age. Well, I guess, yeah, I remember it a little quicker. I remember towards the beginning when there's like Christmassy scenes and they're singing Alvin and the Chipmunks like, oh, shit, Mm -hmm. I saw this like at the age you're supposed to see this, which is probably like seven or eight. Um, And I just don't remember having a bad time, probably because I just ran from the room to go do something while the adults Uh were talking, (laughs) just like three fourths of this movie. And then I just checked back in for the dog portions. Mm -hmm. It's. A movie about two adults, uh, one of whom, okay, Kirstie Alley loses her job. She is an mm-hmm. accountant about to be promoted to vice president and then is fired one day because she's got like a, a, to, like a top story window office and then all yes. of a sudden she gets fired right before Christmas because she's too expensive. So naturally the only logical progression is for her to start being a mall elf for a mall Santa. Yes. Uh, so their family's about to be destitute, but don't worry because John Travolta, who used to drive a cab, is now about to be the pi- private pilot for a Fortune 500 uh, company CEO who's like a, a vampy, blonde, successful. What's her name? Samantha DeBone. Samantha DeBone. DeBone. Yeah. DeBone. Yeah. I. He must have been a pilot in prior movies, right? It's not so? like he's a cab remember. driver who just starts flying corporate jets. Can't, right? Right? Please? Right? <laughs> I mean, it must be true, right? He must drive a drive. He must drive a plane at some point in the first two movies. Um so he is working for this sexed up CEO who apparently as successful and beautiful as she is, he is her only object of conquest. Yeah, she her is only romantic interest up for John Travolta. Yeah, she spends months, as far as I can tell, manufacturing global travel to just spend time with this corny, schlubby middle-aged man. Yes, it. It's. <sighs> she creates some kind. Of, okay. The movie is basically. <laughs> Kirstie Alley is jealous of this CEO woman. Notice we're still not mentioning the dogs because fuck the dogs. They're not part of the movie. Unrelated. (laughs) It's a separate small movie within a movie at the beginning of this movie and then a reprise at the end of this movie in the last six minutes. Uh, Basically, it's Kirstie Alley worried about John Travolta having an affair. Mm -hmm. And that is it. Uh, Yeah, him not having an affair. And then he, of course, doesn't have an affair. And and it's also for you forget. There's also the very significant arc of whether or not the son believes in Santa Claus, which is the only <laughs> oh, other yeah. conflict in the movie. Oh which yeah. Which is what, like, so as, as far as I can tell, John Travolta and the son, and like maybe the daughter, are in a children's movie, mm-hmm. and Kirstie Alley and the vampy CEO are in an adults movie, and. And the dogs are in a fundamentally different... They're in a cartoon that happens to be live action. And they're just three movies squished together. And to make that work, you sacrifice any conflict and any plot. (laughs) You know how... Okay, there's that moment in the movie where John Travolta and Kirstie Alley are in separate locations having separate dreams where they're afraid of one another committing adultery. Mm Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, somehow wait, the dreams... Wait, are you talking about the, the dream where Christy Alley is filleting a, a, a fucking candy cane, candy cane and then, and then backs up into Santa. George Seagal? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, that that was a highlight for me because I didn't... The movie was having a meltdown at that point, and I was here for it. Christy <laughs> 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 Alley's tossing and turning. Paranoid that uh, that he's being seduced by a much younger, prettier, more successful woman, and then he's, I guess, trying to. It almost seems like sympathetic on his part that he's <laughs> yeah. also being jealous in his dream because, come on, she's a mall elf, <laughs> and she's dressed up in her mall elf outfit, and then turns around and Santa is being played by George Siegel, and they make out. Yep. And then they see each other across their dreams and then join a dream. Yeah. She, I was expecting her to be way more violent to uh, Samantha DeBone than she was, where she just sort of makes her disappear. Makes her vanish, yeah. And then one of the dumber parts of the movie where two fake breasts flop onto the floor and jiggle like dead fish. She's like, I knew they were fake. Not a person with especially large breasts in the movie either. No, I'm pretty not sure at all. she's wearing not... like a double-breasted suit in most of those scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird 
cheap throwaway. There's a lot of body shaming in this movie. It probably made me laugh when I was like eight, though, because boobies. Exactly. So there uh, are moments like, that are for kids, I guess. It was, yeah. It was at a cultural moment where fake breasts were like a really big deal, I think. True. Yeah, it was the 90s. It was kind yeah. of like a... So, yeah. Also, like... So what I, I was going to say, the way that you described how there's three separate movies that don't intertwine, it's almost like those dream sequences. There's two separate things yeah. that cannot merge. And then for <laughs> some reason, they inexplicably do a little bit towards the end. And you're like, huh, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, sure. But also, this movie cannot be for kids because one of the huge points that they reveal in the first, like, 10 minutes is that santa claus is not real it's not real no santa claus owes money to a bookie oh (laughs) santa claus is is played by a guy that kind of looks like thinner wayne knight Mm -hmm. who's who is yelling at a bookie into the phone says maybe a racial slur and then hangs up the phone and uh and that's how mikey learns there's no santa claus and it just ends up being that there's no santa claus the whole movie yeah they hide it from the little daughter which is nice i guess that's nice um also when when the little boy finds out that santa's not real and sees scary santa in like the locker room talking on the phone john travolta pulls him aside and says ah that santa's jewish cousin yep just don't know what it means i want to be offended but i just don't know what it means what i i do like in that moment as he's explaining that in the background there's a couple of nice background scenes in this movie. In the background, there is a, a woman very, like, aggressively trying to sell an umbrella to an, uh, an Orthodox Jew who's just, like, looking at her holding the umbrella out to him. <laughs> it's uh, good background work. You really got to focus on things that are not in focus or intended to be noticed in frame, these types of movies. Early on in the movie, I decided to commit to that because it felt like it was going to be more interesting. And that also ended up not being more interesting. <laughs> um. We we got to address, they've got a trope in these movies of starting out with, like, a sperm visiting an egg, like... Uh, okay, so that is a common thing, because I don't love starting a movie in a dog's fallopian tube, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, the movie begins in a dog's fallopian tube, and things, if you can believe it, get worse from there. <laughs> but you do get the extra special treat of Danny DeVito as, like, a... A sentient sperm. Yeah, protoplasmic. Yep. Spermatozoid Danny DeVito crawling into an egg in a dog's uterus. So, like, they make a decision, and I can't decide if I'm on board or not, because it's really entertaining, but it's also psychically upsetting, to have every phase of this dog's life be represented by adult Danny DeVito's voice. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really funny choice, but it also involves a scene at the very beginning of the movie where puppies are nursing on the mom dog, and, like, little Danny DeVito dog is talking to his mother, just two adults in a room speaking to each other, Mm -hmm. essentially, asking, Mm -hmm. like, hey, what's that? Is that guy, what's he doing over there? Also, what are these things I'm looking out of? Are these eyes? Who are you? Who are these guys? He knows what some things are. He knows what a guy is. He doesn't know what a dog is. Them discovering words is really... uh, It's a fun and very strange trope. Uh, I do want to dig into that in a a little bit more. But if you're going to have an actor who's going to play a dog at all stages of the life, you really can't get better than permanent man-child Danny DeVito, Uh. who's always... He's so impish. He could be a sperm. He could be a puppy. He could be an old dog. He's ageless. He's shapeless. He's everywhere. Absolutely a highlight. I wanted to, like, find more things wrong with him specifically being that dog. Like, is there anything I don't like about this? You know what? Fucking love Danny DeVito playing this scrappy dog. I love everything he's saying. I love how gross he is. He's mm-hmm. saying some stuff that's pretty questionable for a kid's movie. I wrote down, watch it, pussy, I'm walking here. When he walks past a cat, he refers to a dog as a bitch. All of it is fine, because apparently little kid Michelle didn't know about these things. Nope. Um, there's a line that I wrote down. It's not significant in any way. It just really reminded me of Frank from It's Always Sunny. I think that you could just put a lot of these quotes into an episode and it would totally work. Oh, he's trying to convince Diane Keaton's character to jump through a puddle. It won't be the highlight of the night, 
You just got to kind of grin your teeth and schlog through it. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of Frank moments. The schlog was really good. Yeah. It was like, you know, that made me smile. Yeah. uh, I think he also, he says, I got a date with a Pekingese. Fakes like a Mack truck, but what a body. What can I say? I'm a hound. John Travolta's (laughs) character wrote this movie is the thing. As far as I can tell, the corny ass dad, John Travolta's character, wrote all of the dialogue. (laughs) At least all of the dog dialogue. The... A lot of my highlights and lowlights are quotes from dogs, uh, which is weird because the movie doesn't really involve, like, the dogs don't advance the plot, but they do provide a lot of the color commentary, some of which I think kind of good, some of which very bad. Uh, Some of which very bad. The pound scene. very bad. The pound scene. I have both lowlights and highlights in the pound scene. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, should we we, uh, jump into... Let's address that scene. I think we can jump around because... Really, like, it's a movie about adultery, something, something, something. The dogs are the cavalry right at the end, which we can talk about later. But let's mm-hmm. talk about that pound scene. Let's talk about how Danny DeVito dog, a.k.a. Rox, comes into their life. Yeah, so so Danny DeVito, has, he gets, as a puppy, he gets shortly adopted by uh, two, like, biker, by a biker dad and a biker boy. And he jumps yeah. out... He jumps out of the back of their hog and uh, almost gets run over by a car, then gets adopted by a, a homeless man, uh, and and then you sort of jump forward in time, yeah. and he's taken by the pound, put into the pound, and he's immediately being served his last meal. Uh, oh, yeah. What, what are those other dogs? They all look like they've been around for a while, like they know the ropes, and yet they're not being executed that day. They know, yeah, totally, but, and although, they're also very clean. They're, hmm. I don't yeah. know if they're, like, washing these dogs to keep and present them. They just decide that this dog is too grungy to give to a family, which does come up when the family tries to adopt <laughs> yeah. Danny DeVito, and the fucking guy in the pound says, I'm sorry, I'm killing this dog right now. You can't have him. Okay, but the way he says it, the little boy says, I want that one. Can't we have that one? And he goes, you can't have this one, kid. He's scheduled to be destroyed today. (laughs) Like, they're going to disassemble this dog and send him back to the manufacturer. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Also, I love the evil dog catcher. They love nothing more than to kill a good dog, you know? <laughs> just gotta murder a dog. It's my thing. It's my fetish. I just gotta kill. I just gotta kill. I got into this field for one reason. So they're, when they're serving him the last meal, uh, Danny Vito says, my last meal, what did I do? Another dog said, what did any of us do? And it cuts to a pit bull that says, ah, I've been a cop, which I thought was very funny. Yeah, I like uh, that. That was, that was a high point in the movie for me. But then it goes downhill really fast. Ooh, does it, with yeah. With the, the random stereotype dog voices, uh, there's definitely, there's a black stereotype dog talking about picking up chicks. There's oh, okay, a gay yeah. stereotype who wants to be called measles. There's a Mexican stereotype chihuahua. Uh, there's, there's also, a, like, a German shepherd who... Is like like a, a Nazi German Shepherd. Like yeah. an SS officer on trial. Like, who is that joke for? All the yep. seven-year-olds? <laughs> <laughs> and there's still the Nuremberg trial uh, <laughs> pound that's going down here. It's Family really narrow casting. <laughs> <laughs> Just following orders. Uh, yeah. There's a basset hound that sounds like Truman Capote, which, frankly, I do kind of like. Oh, yeah, there's and there was a Scottish terrier with a little Scottish yeah. accent. Some of them are whimsical and fun, and some of them are so definitely crude racial stereotypes. Crude racial yeah. stereotypes. Uh, that was also like the Yo Quiero Taco Bell era of the mm-hmm. 90s, so it mm-hmm. all kind of makes mm-hmm. sense. Yep. Giving the uh, people what they want, I suppose. Yeah. And what they want so, are terrible things. So do you have highlights for this movie? Yeah, so Danny DeVito's lots of things he says are highlights. Charles mm-hmm. Barkley, big highlight. The Charles, big the highlight. Whole, all Two, of the Charles Barkley things. Twofold. The fact that he's in it and the mm-hmm. doll that the props department created for this movie, which is like definitely paper mache and spooky Yeah, Stretch Armstrong, <laughs> Charles Barkley. Life's, not life-size, life-size for the daughter. I love that they make the little girl obsessed with Charles Barkley because she thinks he can fly. Like, You know what? I'm not like a big basketball buff, but 
as far as I'm aware, Charles Barkley didn't get a lot of above the rim action, right? He wasn't like a Michael Jordan character. I don't think he was like a big famous for dunking, right? No, I mean, capable of dunking. He's just a big boy who can like dunk on a basketball. The, yes. Uh, yeah, Michael, I assume they just couldn't get Michael Jordan for the movie. I think they like probably had a list and went down the list. And Charles, Charles Barkley, Barkley was the one that was though. willing to be in the movie. Because, I mean, the man is very willing to do whatever. He is DTF, and as he, far as I can tell. And he's funny, too. I think he knew exactly the movie that he mm-hmm. was in. And he was like, fuck it, paycheck. I'm in it prominently. Yeah. And then he did Space Jam like a year later. Right. Dude knows what he's doing. I was like, Charles yeah. Barkley gets it even if no one else does. And I enjoyed that dream sequence where... Nope, not dream sequence. Waking dream sequence where the yeah. very checked out daughter who seems like she's kind of in a daze a lot of the time, just mm-hmm. crawling up walls and trying to fly, is uh, imagining that she's playing one-on-one with Charles Barkley. That was a definite highlight. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a top-notch part of the movie. Uh, so I have a little thing, and it's not actually the movie, but I, I realized at the beginning of this movie, I miss the TriStar Pegasus. It's like such a oh. optimistic, heartwarming pre nine eleven artifact of like the world could be anything you want. The horses can fly in the movies. That that's gone. Is We're it gone? I haven't seen a, the TriStar Pegasus I, in so long. I guess it must be gone. It didn't occur to me either. I think I just, you know, certain yeah, like. Certain production insignia just makes me think of being a kid in the 90s. And I yeah. I assumed maybe I just wasn't watching the right movies as an adult to see those like nostalgic intros. But yeah, the TriStar. TriStar Tri-Star Pegasus, Pegasus is really heartwarming. Yeah. Yeah. I miss uh, it. Okay, I got to bring up something that's bothered me about 90s movies set in New York City since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. How on earth do they afford that big ass apartment? That they complained is too small. Yeah, she's an accountant. The He's a caddy, yeah. she's an accountant. My idea of like what standard living was watching like s- movies set in like the mid 90s was that everybody had like these beautiful like four room sunny apartments with french doors. Mhm. Yeah, they have a den in in Manhattan. Who did it's... they murder to get that place? Right. Like the the economics of this movie are incredibly confusing. Yes. The the heartwarming conclusion of the movie <laughs> is that this this these parents of two parents are, are both unemployed now. The, he says I got fired and they celebrate. Yeah, it's like the crowning achievement is that they finally got their priorities straight, which is to never work again. <laughs> never work again while living in Manhattan and raising two children. They're get they got and yeah. one dog that lives in a palace. They have two dogs, two people, and two kids, and like a giant ass apartment right before Christmas. Yay! Yeah. No one has a job anymore. Um. Okay. I mean, the sexual harassment lawsuit he could levy against uh, Samantha Debone is is fairly significant. Like you get a payout from that. Uh, That's but, true. Yeah, I, I still feel like nobody's trusting him over her. I I would. I know. I watched the movie. I know that he that like he deserves that. But I hate him so much. Just yeah. he's such a despicable character. Not like a bad guy. Just so annoying. I would rule. I would find against him every time. He is annoying. I also he looks so schlubby. He doesn't present as a man who's got his shit together. The costume choices in this movie are appalling. They <laughs> have, wild. They have Kirstie Alley dressed as a psychotic Minnie Mouse in like every scene. <laughs> She's wearing so many billowy polka dotted items, including but not limited to a giant red and white dress on Christmas Eve, and also in a different scene in a different outfit. A huge bow that takes up, like, her entire head, which is black and white polka dot. And then John Travolta, anytime he needs to be fancy, is wearing a coat made for, like, a man four times his size. (laughs) Right. Who lives in Miami exclusively. wild. Yeah. He looks like a Coke dealer borrowing his older brother's suit. (laughs) It's (laughs) fucked up. (laughs) Honestly. 
I don't get oh. it. Why are they, why does everyone have to look so shitty? I know it was the nineties. The nineties. But... Nobody looked good. Oh God. Uh, um. So there's a lot of wolves in this movie. Yeah, there there are a remarkable number of of wolves that are really easily defeated. Uh, yeah. The wolves get beaten by a a single rangy house dog. Yeah, like and a fifty a pound beeper. little scrappy house dog. Yeah, uh, I respect the wolves for contributing the only moment of tension in the movie, though. That's true. That's nice. That is nice. Um, have you have you treated yourself to the Roger Ebert review of this film? <laughs> no, but I'm sure it's great. Roger Ebert, when he didn't like something, was delightful. Oh man! So I won't read all of it. I'll just read the very first like half of the little first paragraph and the last paragraph. Um, All right. Let's see. <laughs> Look who's talking now is a fairly misleading title for those who paid attention in English class during, since the talkers are dogs. And so the title of course should be look what's talking now. Anyone who paid attention during English class will also find innumerable other distressing elements in the film, including what teachers used to call quote, lack of originality and aptness of thought. We're just going to skim to the bottom where he, he goes over the plot. And then at the very bottom, after the taxi skids off the road and savage wolves attack the stranded family and the brave dogs fight them off and the kids unwrap their Christmas presents in the middle of a blizzard, dot, dot, dot. So help me God, I'm not making this up. Suggestions, please, for the fourth movie in the series. How about Look Who's Talking Back, in which the audience gets its turn. (laughs) It's the most hateful review of this movie, and it just made me smile. What a cantankerous man. Ah. So good. So yeah, like, basically, this executive um, manipulates a way for John Travolta to have to pilot her to a cabin in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. uh, to make some deal happen on Christmas Eve. And then a that He never w- questions, by the way. Yeah. He's just, oh, all right, let's do it. Fine with it. And then the storm of the century blows in and they get stranded in this cabin. So it's possible she controls the weather. Is she a witch? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Kirstie Alley, stuck at home with uh, with her parents and her kids, devises a way to like figure out where the cabin is and then packs up a car full of the dogs and children and drives in through a harrowing snowstorm to try to find her husband. I think she wants to kill her kids because she (laughs) definitely gets stranded in the woods and does nothing to like mediate the situation or find any help she just lets the kids start opening their presents and like it seems like a like a last goodbyes kind of moment (laughs) (laughs) yeah well that that's the thing about this movie the the emotional reactions to the characters are in inverse proportion to the stakes so like throughout (laughs) the movie there's there's basically like no major problems nothing that's uh, no real cause for concern yeah. and Christy Alley is melting down the whole movie true uh, she then drives her children in a car off a cliff Basically and crashes cliff. and gets attacked by wolves yep. and seems fucking fine like just co- going for a stroll on a pleasant spring day nothing there, is wrong nothing's wrong it's not like she's like putting on a brave face for her children I feel like the movie's kind of trying to suggest that, but every every inch of her performance suggests that she could not care less about this situation. She doesn't give a fuck about those kids. Like, it's established throughout. There's all these moments. Like, her kid tries to, like, climb up a, a bookshelf and go sailing off of it like Charles Barkley, and she leaps and catches her at the last second. She's like, oh, <laughs> glad you're okay. You can't fly, silly goose. Like, that's a small example. Yeah, we had to talk about you not being able to fly. I'm sorry. A much larger example of her not giving a shit about her kids is her being in the middle of a snowstorm on Christmas Eve, (laughs) alone in the woods, having just sailed off a cliff and into a tree and surrounded by wolves. And her solution is, uh, the dog has been let out of the car. Let's watch and see what he does, children. Mm -hmm. 
Let's mm-hmm. all focus our energy yeah. and attention Let's let the at kids watching the watch family wolves dog and watch get your family killed. dog be pulled apart <laughs> by like six wolves. Um, yeah. So six wolves. They all have mm-hmm. little. The wolves talk too. So in case anyone, was yeah, the wolves that talk. And, and the wolves are also aware of Grimm's fairy tales. Uh, oh, uh huh. Because they reference the big bad wolf. Yeah, and grandmother's yeah. house. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's a like. I'm very curious about like the dog wolf educational system and what sorts of things are included in instincts and what sorts of things are not. Like that's that's German literature. Like they shouldn't know. They've picked up on where they are represented uh, vis-a-vis the cultural zeitgeist, but mm-hmm. maybe their knowledge is limited only to wolf references. Right. Sort of a Washington read, where you look at the back of the book <laughs> to see where you're referenced, and then just read that part. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Then, um... We still haven't really talked about anything Diane Keaton does, of course, because she's not really in the movie. <laughs> None of that. <laughs> Despite, again, being the only dynamic character in the movie. I guess if we want to talk about her role in this film, there's a Lady in the Tramp moment that happens a little over halfway through where uh, where Rox and Daphne go on like a a late night adventure through town and they do all of the Lady in the Tramp stuff. You're also missing the earlier, much darker Lady in the Tramp moment at the beginning where the Tramp pressures Lady into sex that precipitates the whole thing. Oh. Like, like guilts, guilts and tricks. Lady, oh, from Lady yeah. in the Tramp into sex and then gets her pregnant and then ditches out, leading to a great insult from Diane Keaton uh, where Danny DeVito tells Diane Keaton's dog that... Uh, what she's inbred, so her like her cousin was too close to her mother, and Diane Keaton dog replies, not as uh, I it's I guess she, fuck I fucked this up. God damn it. <laughs> no, let's start from the top. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, you have a skeezy inbred look. Your mother knew her cousin a little too well, Diane Keaton, mm-hmm. apparently better than your mother knew her father, which is like pretty good Groucho Marx retort. Yeah, that was pretty good. Deliver the second time around. Thank you. Uh, damn, it's, like, pretty harsh. So that, like, although it does start with a very dark and deceitful Lady in the Tramp, uh, grossness. hmm They are dogs. Sure. Dogs. Still, not a great example for the kids. Uh, I do, I liked, I did like the moment where Diane Keaton dog discovers mud, uh, and describes it as firm yet squishy, and it's so sensual. Yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There's also a moment when they are running around and and rocks. uh, Where's Danny DeVito compliments her dog body and she says, "When I was young, I had one of those hard bodies. (laughs) Those greyhound hard bodies. (laughs) This is still a kids' movie. No, it isn't. (laughs) Who is this for? It's so funny. Um. Yeah, so a lot of that feels like Meanwhile in another movie. Also, mm-hmm. there's like a thing that only happens two times that I remember where they do dog vision. Do you remember oh, dog yeah, vision? Oh, the, yeah, the weird fish eye that's absolutely nauseating. It belongs in Catwoman. Yeah, and so like I saw it at the beginning of the movie, of course, when he's like Danny DeVito puppy waking up and like figuring out his surroundings. It kind of looks like a person waking up and like being on an acid trip or something. Mm-hmm. It's like distorted, stretched out fisheye lens um but it appears only again at the end of the movie which is when jesse walked into the room to watch part of this with me and he's like wait what the fuck oh no what the fuck is this why is this happening like yeah that's fair because they really just forgot about using dog point of view or dogs for like Mm -hmm. a good half of this movie it's an unpleasant choice and i'm glad like I, I'm not glad that they abandon it because that's inconsistent filmmaking. I am glad that they abandon it for my own, like, inner ear. It's yeah. so unpleasant. It's really uh, hard. It's real Blair Witchy. It's real hard to mm-hmm. watch that for more than a couple seconds. Do not enjoy. Um, this is a non sequitur, but I just wrote this down. It was when Danny DeVito gets taken to the pound and he's pleading his case I didn't mean to steal that frisbee. I thought it was two calzones mating in midair. Sure. 
Sure, why not? Someone wrote this movie. They wrote it <laughs> down and they got it produced. <laughs> well, the character that John Travolta plays in this movie wrote the movie. It's recursive. The person who did write this movie wrote the first... No, the person who wrote the first two movies, whose name is... Can't find it. Tony Kushner. <laughs> uh, uh, she did not make the third movie so the creator of look who's talking and look who's talking to solidly walked away from this last one um which never bodes well amy heckerling who i who directed and wrote the first one um but more distressing than that there is talk via vulture.com of a fourth movie in the mix wait hold on there's a couple things you said there We'll get to the fourth movie in a second. Travolta.com is the thing I want to know more about. Oh, Vult- Vulture. Vulture! Okay. <laughs> you know when you're looking at Vulture at Travolta.com as you do most days to catch up on your daily Travolta? <laughs> it seems possible. I like it not John Travolta.com, but Travolta. Like, it's firm. Uh, Are you checking? Is Travolta.com? Of course I'm travolta.com for all your travolta needs and merch let's find out not a secure website oh john travolta the official site it's a very 90s photo of him in a bomber jacket and then it's filmography biography latest news any uh any look who's talking for news I don't think this is on here so far just hearsay so far it's just speaking like speaking appearances um but vulture did quote them as saying that they were excited about making a fourth one kirstie alley said that she was interested in making a movie because (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) um both of us like making movies for kids that adults really like to go see says alley I've got some issues with a lot of stuff she just said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. None of it, none of it is true. Being the main issue. Is she but... also speaking for John Travolta there? <laughs> yeah, she said they're both on board. I can't say I don't believe her because it's John Travolta and it's 2020. Yeah, no, it's I mean... possible. It's just funny they wouldn't also quote Travolta, that they would quote Christy Alley on behalf of Travolta. Is he not he allowed to speak on busy. his own behalf anymore? Is that what Scientology has done to this poor man? <laughs> <laughs> he needs an interpreter. Yeah. Yeah, so there might be another one of these. And they talked about the fact that it would be the children as adults having their own children. These might never stop. This might be like a Matryoshka doll type movie scenario where they just get to do this forever until someone physically stops them. <laughs> or I guess until Kirstie Alley or John Travolta die. It sounds like they're setting <laughs> it up like, so that keep won't continue. be an issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would think that like 20 years between the movies should give an indication that nobody wants your movie. It's you been would... it's been 25 years since this last movie. Maybe they're like Twin Peaks did it. Right. If Twin <laughs> Peaks can pull it off. <laughs> um Did you notice by the way that uh the dog Danny DeVito says swing in this movie? No. Yes. Yes, Amazing. when he sees the dog Diane Keaton, he says the Wayne's World catchphrase indicating an erection swing. Yeah. See, I told you they're going to be not zero sexual innuendos after our mm-hmm. last watch, which was basically just like a, an anthropomorphized penis walking around in a movie <clears throat> for two hours. We were ready for a nice little break. And this was a bit of a break, but it was not without innuendos in a PG-13 movie made for eight-year-olds. Yeah. I, this uh, this movie really it was a palate cleanser. And I'll be honest, I didn't hate it. I had fun I, watching it. Yeah, I, this was the first one in a while that I I ended the movie in as good or better an emotional state than I began the movie. Okay, I ended it in a much better state because of the way that this movie chose to end. Oh, and by oh, yeah. movie, I do yeah. not mean movie, but the way that the 
Let's just say, like, video file chooses to end. Because if you stay for the credits, at least currently, if you're watching this on, like, YouTube or Amazon or any of the main streaming platforms, there is a music video during the credits. Mm -hmm. I had a full like hysterical <laughs> laughing meltdown while watching this thing because it just caught me by surprise <laughs> yeah it's it's it, it just happens uh with no no explanation no fanfare you're just suddenly in the middle of a music video starring a tiny mumbling french boy with a sideways <laughs> baseball cap who runs out of a chimney and leads a rap of words that sound like he's never heard before Okay, so the credits begin to roll, and, like, what are you accustomed to seeing when credits roll? Like, outtakes, or alternate scenes, or sometimes a music video that was meant to be released simultaneously with the movie by, like, a prominent artist. Right, Will like, Smith, for instance. A Wild sure. Wild West, or a Men yeah. in Black. Yeah, like, uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas with, uh, the... Tyler, the creator? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the country singer who... Oh, there's a different one? You're not there... speaking of Thurl Ravenscroft. The original singer. No, no, I was thinking there. Now I can't even. Tim McGraw's wife. I'm having oh, a Faith Hill? stroke. Yeah, <laughs> Faith Hill, like releasing her like Grinch music video along with mm. like the more modern Jim Carrey Grinch shit. Like that makes sense. This is like watching. Jesse said it was like suddenly they just like copy pasted like a Tim and Eric sketch into the movie <laughs> because. A little tiny kid with a sideways baseball cap comes down the chimney and begins to sing incoherently <laughs> because he has a very, very, very thick French accent, but he is not speaking French. He is not. It took me a while to realize he was not. The chorus is in French. It's Say Noel, something, something, it's Christmas. But he's trying to, like, he's trying to sing a bunch of Christmas lyrics to the surprised little kids who are the stars of the movie that are also in this scene. And... Could you figure out, like, if everybody participated in the music video or how much of it was cut and spliced from the movie? Oh, uh, it... Because I well... watched it a couple times and they zoom in <laughs> so much on Kirstielli's afraid <laughs> eyes that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that... You're right. I just assumed because there's, like... It could be outtakes in the movie, right? Because a lot of it is just them... is like Kirstielli and John Travolta assembling a bike... But then they do look into the dollhouse where the music video is taking place yes. uh, and, and discover their fucking thumbtack-sized children dancing with just a, a little French boy who's broken and entered into the dollhouse in which their children live and then conjures up a multiracial cast of children to mm -hmm. dance around a Christmas tree and then steal their children up a fucking chimney so this little french boy leads the kids to walk this pipe piper the chimney yeah <laughs> they walk they march right back up the chimney and onto the roof and then all of a sudden and i watched this like four times in a row because i was laughing so hard i almost choked there's like kids marching up the chimney distressing and then suddenly they're on the roof and then there's a shot of a of the fireplace on fire and mm -hmm. then there's a so super extreme close-up of kirstie alley's afraid eyes staring <laughs> yeah. at the fire and i was like are these at kids on fucking fire right at her thumbtack children burning it alive everything about that was amazing it went on for a really long time it was indiscernible lyrics and i gotta say number one highlight of the movie was it's the a, thing that wasn't in the movie it's a good way to close out the movie i I will say, partly because I am such a chump, all of the musical sequences in the movie, they actually kind of really work for me. Like the oh, yeah. Alvin and the Chipmunk sequence, I really like. Really it's cute. adorable. That's what stuck with me. I loved that as a kid, and I can't say I don't love yeah. it now. It was pretty cute. The, the John Travolta as Fred Astaire, I know I'm being manipulated. I know it's not it's good. Fine. I know it's derivative. I really like it. It's, I don't care. It's, I just... Yeah, it I, works for me. Watching those dream sequences where they're all in kind of like Roger and Hammerstein's type sets and waltzing around, I was like, get me into that movie. I yeah. want to see more of that one, please. All that the whole time. Let's, yeah. I don't care about their jobs. Yeah, that was I, definite highlight. L I do have some questions for yes. you. Yes. Uh, why do they still have a cap? So he gets a job <laughs> as as an airline pilot. And then they're still driving around in a cab 
for the many months that he is like a high-powered corporate airline pilot. Yes. Is the cab their only car? They do live in a very nice Manhattan apartment. That's a good question. The cab appears to be their only car, which if you live in New York City, sort of checks out that you wouldn't have a car, but not that you would have a cab as your only car. It seems like there's an in-between. You would turn the cab in, I would think. Yeah, you either get a car or you just opt to never have a car because you live in Manhattan or wherever the fuck they live that it looks that nice. They just like, keep having a cab. Well, by the end of the movie, they certainly don't have a cab because that thing slammed into a tree and is lost in a ravine. Right. And that was his other job option. They did keep the cab. He's got the medallion. He could drive the cab again, except that Christy Alley drove their children off a cliff in the cab. Yeah. Yeah. And he was unsuccessfully seduced. So now he's fired. Mm hmm. Uh, so second question. Yes. Does Olympia Dukakis actually have Samantha DeBone audited. Because when they're dining huh. in the restaurant Les Liaison, mm-hmm. uh, which is very heavy-handed. I love that. Yep, Olympia I forgot du- about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Olympia Dukakis leans over to Christy Alley. Olympia Dukakis plays Christy Alley's mom. And uh, I'm saying her name right, right? It's Olympia Dukakis? I'm yeah, not just, yeah. Okay, I'm she not was, just venting she's that. She's great. I yeah. was very pleased to see her in this movie. She's wonderful. National treasure. Yeah. Uh, the... She says, I have people that can get her audited. Mm-hmm. And then skip forward like a couple scenes. And Samantha DeBone is being audited. So oh. did Olympia Dukakis have this high-powered CEO audited? Did she just pull some strings? How is she not yeah. featured more prominently? In this? She's it's like the, the most shadow powerful puppet person master in the of Look Who's Talking Now. <laughs> That's amazing. I did not put that together. Mm-hmm. Oh man, um, the the dog is only allowed. Danny DeVito is only allowed to stay when he learns to sit, but he fought off many wolves <laughs> two times. Yep. Once for the children, and then later when he's running amok with John Travolta, he fights off like five more wolves. Mm-hmm. And Kirstie Alley is still pretty on the fence until he nails sit and lay down. Sit and lie down. Yeah, well, to be fair, that second time, John Travolta's beeper appears to fight off the wolves, which you never <laughs> see on screen. They just tell you later, Yeah. Uh, which feels like it's a visual medium. I don't know why it has to be done in narration. Yeah. Um, the dogs fall in love. That's an important thing to know. Love. Yeah, the dogs fall in love. The marriage is, of course, fine. Um, although oh. everyone's destitute. Additional question. Yes. Can John Travolta recognize any dog's bark anywhere? Because he's in the middle yeah. of nowhere <laughs> yeah. with, with Samantha DeBone, and he hears a dog barking outside in the middle of nowhere and says immediately, that is my son's dog, Rox. Yes. I spend a lot of time with dogs. That's impossible. Like, unless he's some kind of fucking horse whisperer for dogs, there's, there's that no is way. uncanny. There's just... It's almost upsetting that he would have that skill this whole time and have it never pay off in a more important way until the 11th hour. Because it kind of seems like if he's that plugged into the life of his dog, why has he not seemed to notice that he has one for the entirety uh-huh. of the movie? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know off the top of my head what my lowlights are. Do you remember your lowlights? Well, the besides... I can definitely say the racial stereotypes were a bummer, but other than that, I wasn't uh, hating this watch. Yeah, I mean, John, the character played by John Travolta is my low light. There's mm-hmm. so many things that he does that I find just deeply infuriating. All of his, like, corny dad stories, his Henry VIII song story, yeah, uh, his Mikey, you want a pizza pie, makes no sense, and I hate it. Yeah. Uh, Asking why his grandfather, why the grandfather's nose glows. Uh, his his wife comes to meet him with the children, clearly upset, is being cagey about leaving work early, and he badgers her so much about if she got a promotion in the middle of an airport until she screams that she got fired, interrupting in the background a uh, an arm wrestling contest that a bunch of gutter punks are having in this airport. Yeah. Which, 
I, that's a highlight, though. They just that, shove those guys in the background. And yeah, the backgrounds are they highlights. Stole the scene. Uh, Olympia Dukakis saying that Samantha Debone uh, practically offered John Travolta Taster's Choice. Oh, uh, ew! Is so grody. gross. That was a grody line. That didn't even kind of fit the tone of the movie, except that I guess it did. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Charles it's very Barclay sexual doll. dog children's movie. Oh, the little girl likes to tell knock-knock jokes, and at one point, her knock-knock joke is, knock-knock, who's there? Transsexual. That's it. That's Yeah, that's a... You know, what do you that's want? That's a 90s joke lowlight. 90s uh, joke lowlight. Christy Alley does say that she wouldn't mind seeing Samantha DeBone's body decomposing down by the river, which I, I think is a lowlight. It's in my, like, I don't know how I feel lights, because it's, like, not a bad line, but it is a really weird thing to include in a movie with this tone. There are a few fantasy cutaways that I liked, but I also didn't know why they were. There's a moment where I think it's when Kirstie Alley's talking to her son and he's explaining how much he wants a dog. And he asks, like, isn't there anything that you've really wanted and couldn't have? And then it just cuts to her as a teen saying, I'm never going to have breasts. And then immediately cuts back to the movie. Yeah. Kind of felt like watching a sitcom at that point. Right. At the end of that knockoff 30 Rock cutaway. Yeah. It was just like an odd, odd timing thing. But this movie was bad. And the people in it were bad. But I didn't expect a lot out of anyone in it. So the stakes were low. It wasn't like watching, like watching Halle Berry and Catwoman is different. Because you're watching a beautiful, great actress eat tuna on her bed and it bums you out <laughs> this is like diane keaton's in it but she's kind of not really in it and right there's no else, suffering no diane keaton's were harmed in the making of this movie you know everyone else kirstie Alley, john travolta danny devito it's very tone appropriate to have all those people in there and it doesn't really take away from anybody's career or my enjoyment to watch them do a bad job yeah it's, so it's fine it's like a net the, zero yeah the movie is completely harmless it's a non-event i'll forget it tomorrow but you know what of the stinkers that we have sniffed so far it's fine i'm fine it's with fine it. it's fine, fine it's a it. fine movie and i ended it on such a high getting to watch that if you're listening and you want to treat yourself to something that makes absolutely no sense just uh just google the music video sequence at the end of look who's talking now because what is it and what is that kid up to these days do you the kid whose name I think is Jordy, because at the very end it says and introducing Jordy, and then they immediately <laughs> so move to Jordy. The introduction to Jordy. Yeah. Uh, I am very curious where they found Jordy. Also, yes. question: Do you think that he sounds the way that he does because he's French or because he's a little kid? Because he sounds like he has no idea the words that are coming out of his I mouth. Do, I 100%. It's a mumble rap. Yeah, it is a mumble rap. He does not speak English, this is clear. But Mm -hmm. they are trying to introduce, for some reason, I think a little kid who's probably like a French pop star little kid. You know how every once in a while... How is that possible? He's like five! Yeah, but like, you know how every once in a while a Bow Wow pops up and you're like, okay, for some (laughs) reason, like a little kid is just super famous, even though it's weird. I mean, France maybe had a one-off Bow Wow French boy that made it to... Through some amount of nepotism or chance or Christmas magic gets to be mm-hmm. and look who's talking now. Because as we established at the end, Santa is indeed real. So It's true. It's fine. Uh, I do have to find out what happened to Jordy now, though. It's everything to me now. I, I have need to find to out. I have to find out. Okay. He has an entry in Wikipedia. Uh, 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 uh. He's our age. Jordy Claude Daniel Lemoyne. Uh, he's born in 1988. Mm-hmm. Uh, still, years active, 1992 to 96, and 2006 to 2008, part of Columbia Records. Uh, oh. Oh, he's best known. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, oh, God. So, he's best known for his hit single, Der Der Detra Bebe, when he was, any guesses uh, from the age that he was when, uh, when he released this hit single? Ten? Four. What? <laughs> Four years old. Jordy in is America, the... he released it in France and then uh, became famous in America many years later. Uh, well, his number one hits, he's the uh, the youngest singer ever to have a number one hit single. Uh, okay. 
it's not clear what... Oh, okay. It was number one for 15 weeks in France. Was a dance hit across Europe, Brazil, Latin America, South Korea, and Japan. Number 58 on the Billboard Hot 100. Uh, and the uh, the song translates to, it's tough to be a baby, which... <laughs> That's amazing. Fair. Every country but ours, basically, got on board with... What 58. is Europe? It hit 58. That's not low on the Henry, Hot 100. What is wrong with Europe? <laughs> <laughs> right, you have Jordy, you have fucking Gunther. It's when it comes to like to like dance, like uh, when it comes to electronic Euro trash music, there are just no rules. Because mm-hmm. a four year old gets to have a movie called gets to have a song called "It's Tough to Be a Baby," which I'm 100 percent going to download. Oh yeah, I'm listening to this podcast. next. Uh, you're you're gonna. It's got to be our playout music, right? You're you. You should look at the cover for the hit single, Dur Dur D'Etre Bebe, uh, because it is a baby with a pacifier on it screaming, uh, but with a really nice haircut. It's, uh, and the B-side is a remix. Oh my God, this is so good. Oh, yeah. It's, the song has been adapted into Portuguese by the children (laughs) teen pop group, Onda Choc. My guess for that Brazilian market. I love that he's... So he was in a movie in the 2000s? Oh, was he? Jordy? Is that what you said? Or did you say that he had a hit in the 2000s? There was something uh, He was current. active in the years 2006 to 2008. It is not clear what active means in this case. Hmm. I am very happy that this person still exists. Baby. Yeah. He has a MySpace... This is just a Jordy episode now. This has this is no longer about. I who want are this even... to be a Jordy fan cast because this kid. Oh God, there's so many fun. The album covers. He's got a little fringe jacket. Yeah, and I mean he has an active MySpace page for Jordy and the Dixies. Uh, and he the may Dixies. he may have reactivated. Yeah, it's it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh... Oh man. If I can find a Geordie song to play us out at the end of this episode, that is how we're saying farewell. <laughs> Going to be necessary. Uh, so. Um, if you had to pick a character, who would you be in this fine film? Does Can it be Geordie or do you have to, is, uh, Jordy, could, are you picking Geordie? I mean, I think it's clear that we both want to be Geordie. Yeah. I'd be okay being the pit bull that bites the cop. Um, yeah, that's always a solid choice. Yeah, I would... I don't want to say dog sperm, but it's the word that I just saw. So let's go with dog sperm. <laughs> I'll be one of the dog sperms. Yeah, that's a good choice. Um, yeah, Kirstie Ellie's mom's not the worst choice either. She seems yeah. pretty. She seems pretty checked out yet powerful. Extremely powerful. <laughs> Friends uh, in the highest of places. She apparently can audit a Fortune 500 CEO. So whatever she's about, it seems like. I'm on board for it. She's also very, she looks down upon John Travolta speaking French or knowing anything about fancy culture. And then she's also uh, auditing a high powered CEO. So her life is, is not about putting on airs. It is about business. Yeah. No, I I like, I like her. Down to brass tacks. Yeah. But I want to be Jordy. Who wouldn't want to be Jordy? I mean, he had such a, such a life. Uh, By the time he was six, he'd done more than all of us. Mm Mm-hmm. Number one in like fifteen countries. That's amazing. Yeah. What a life. Oh, Jordy. I mean, I hope he never has to work again. If I had a number one single when I was four, and I was able to just cash out on that until I was like forty. Yeah. You do whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, just the interest that accrues. Do you put that in a high yield mutual fund? You're good, Jordy. Yeah, man. Say bon. Say <laughs> Noel. It's Christmas, say well. I had to Google what it said because I couldn't understand it. Not because it was French, but because he was mumbling the entire thing. Such a mumbler. Uh, Uh, We're probably done with this episode, right? We did it, and I don't regret that we did it. And I hope that, um, hope Jordy's doing great. Yeah, I love you, Jordy. I hope they make I a fourth you. one because I am interested. I'm very interested in what mm-hmm. would happen at a fourth one. Bring back Jordy. Bring back Jordy. 
bring back John Travolta, give him some good old fashioned hair plugs, and let's hit the silver screen. It's a ride. Yeah. <sighs> All right. All right. Well, that uh, that about wraps her up, I believe. Yeah. Until next time, uh, I'm I'm Henry. I'm still I'm still the scrappy dog down the street, muck right. slogging around in the mud. Oh God! And <laughs> as uh, as thespian dog spermer Nicholas Cage would say, experiment and fast forward into the future of acting.